Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It is a pleasure to gather with you again to praise our promise-keeping God. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Kelton. I also serve as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. If you have a Bible handy, please open with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can use one of the pew Bibles provided for you. You can find Genesis on page Genesis 15 on page 10. And you're welcome if you'd like to keep that Bible as our, our gift to you. This morning we resume our, our sermon series, The Book of Beginnings in Genesis. We started back in November with the very first verse of the Bible, and our, our plan is to, to make more progress through this book over the next two months. As a quick reminder of, of Genesis, it, it addresses life's most fundamental questions. Who is God? How does everything exist? What is mankind? Why is there good? Why is there evil? What is our, our purpose? How do we have a relationship with God? How is it that everything will be made right in the end? The first part of Genesis, from chapters 1 through 11, tell, tells the history of, of all creation. That God alone is our eternal creator, who by his word made a, a good world for his people, made in his image. Tragically, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God in sin. Their rebellion brought God's curse of, of enmity, of pain, of labor, and, and death. But with that curse came the promise of a snake-crushing son of Eve to bring us back to that garden. Then in, in chapter 11, we started with the history of, of the first patriarch, of the nobody with nothing from nowhere, Abram. God gave this former moon worshiper very great promises of, of land, of seed, and, and blessing. But it's been up and down for Abram ever since. Our text this morning picks up with the story of Abram after one of his high points of defeating the kings of the east to rescue his, his nephew Lot. And the point of all this, again, to remind you, for Moses is that the past that he's recounting is seen as lesson for the future. As God has been, so he will be. What he has promised will come to pass. But before we read our text this morning, picking up the story of Abraham, it's, it's appropriate for us to pause, to ask for God's help in the hearing and proclaiming of his word. So please join with me in prayer once more. Heavenly Father, it is you that we come to you this morning and asking you that by the same Spirit that inspired this word to the prophet Moses, Lord, that this morning you would illuminate it to our hearts. That as you spoke to Abram through visions, Lord, that now you would speak to us through your word. Lord, as you revealed to Abram your very great promises in covenant, Lord, that you would reveal to us today your son. That the same faith that that filled Abram's heart by your spirit would fill our hearts as we consider your promises to us. And that, Lord, none of our doubts of your word would prevail against the faith that you give by grace for the glory of your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, there's a kind of doubt that looks for answers and a kind of doubt that never stops looking for questions. There's a kind of doubt that looks for answers and a kind of doubt that never stops looking for questions. That line by the author Kevin DeYoung points out that there are very different kinds of doubts. If we're honest with ourselves, everyone has doubts, whether passing or, or persistent. But not all doubts are the same. Or maybe more precisely, what we do with our doubts isn't always the same. We can look for answers or we can dig deeper holes of questions. Yes, Christians deal with doubts. But what do you do with your doubts? When you face uncertainty, a a lack of conviction, where do you go? Especially when you experience uncertainty about about who God is, what He has promised, or, or even whether or not you are truly saved... Where do you go? Our passage this morning in Genesis 15 shows Abram in his doubts. After what's likely been years since receiving God's very great promises in in Genesis chapter 12 of of land, of of children, of, of blessing, it seems to him that he is no more closer to receiving what God has promised. He still lives as a a nomad in an occupied land with no children of his own. So Abram faces doubts, uncertainty about what God has promised. He lacks assurance. Evidence seems contrary to what he would expect. And what does Abram do with those doubts? How does God respond to those doubts? Well, read with me. All of Genesis 15 of blessed assurance. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out, of, out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam drove them away. Adam, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But 
I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The word of the Lord. Did you hear as we read Abram's doubts? And how the Lord responded? Well, I I saw two doubts, two questions Abram had, and from God, two assurances. So we will have two points today. First, in verses 1 through 6, receive righteousness by faith. And second, in verses 7 through 21, rest in assurance on God's covenant promises. So first, receive righteousness by faith, and second, rest in assurance on God's covenant covenant promises. When we studied Genesis 12 and the promises that God made there, we said that these promises are known as the, the Abrahamic covenant, the third covenant relationship God has made after Adam and Noah. Here, as we read in this passage, the, the strange story about dismembered animals and floating flames Those promises to Abram are made formal in a covenant. What you see summarized in verse 18, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. What we read this morning is is one of those landmark passages of the Bible, a major step forward in the unfolding plan of salvation culminating in Jesus Christ. As you walk the landscape of the Old Testament, this chapter is one of the landmarks we look to to orient ourselves in the story of the Bible. So as we study it this morning, the two points that we have will, will help us see the main point of our text, which is just those two points put together. Our, our main idea this morning, receive righteousness by faith and rest in assurance on God's covenant promises. Receive righteousness by faith and rest in assurance on God's covenant promises. God in our passage deals with Abram's doubts with mercy and gives him assurance of what he has promised. Abram in believing what God has promised is is said here to be counted righteous, to be justified in, in God's sight. Not because he is righteous, but received as a gift from God. Receive righteousness by faith and rest in assurance on God's covenant promises. So let's start in verses 1 through 6 with our first point. Receive righteousness by faith. Maybe when we read chapter 15 verse 6 you, you recognized it. Well that's because it's, it's quoted three times in the New Testament. In, in Romans, in Galatians, and in, in James. It is the most important verse for the apostles to show that salvation and righteousness have always been by faith and and not by works of the law. But let's start with the context in verse 1. It says, after these things, this, this account 
is right on the heels of, of Abram's victory over the, the foreign invaders that captured his nephew Lot in chapter 14. If you remember from that study, we saw in Genesis 14 that, that Abram there was a, a type of Christ. He's a, a victorious king pursuing and, and, and delivering those in captivity. He was a, a prediction in picture of what Jesus will be like. A victorious king pursuing and rescuing those in spiritual captivity. In captivity of our sin. In that chapter, Abram was clearly acting in faith. Remember, he even turned down the spoils of his victory in order to make clear that his prosperity comes from the Lord. We don't know exactly how long it's been when we pick it up here in verse 1. But now the word of the Lord comes to Abram in a vision. This vision is, is how God communicates with his prophets. Numbers 12.6 says, If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. So clearly we should understand Abram to be God's prophet, receiving God's word here. And what does God revealed to his prophet Abram, well in verse 2, sorry it's still in verse 1, fear not. God calls him not to be afraid. Why might God say this? Is this just a, a general platitude, how, how God speaks to his people? Or might God know his heart that Abram is afraid? Why would Abram be afraid? Might he be thinking that now he has enemies all the way from Egypt to the Euphrates? That those kings he defeated back in chapter 14 might be coming back for vengeance very soon? Well, God knows his heart. 1 Kings 8, 39, For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. God knows your heart too, brother, sister. All of your fears and hopes, even your hidden thoughts, known to no one else. There is no sense, no reason to hide them from God. You can, you can bring your fears, your doubts to God because He knows them even better than you do. As, as Abram is confronted with this reality. God assures him that, that he is his shield. That whatever Abram might fear, God is his defender. And God adds there in, in verse 1 that, that his reward shall be very great. I think the great reward God has in mind is particularly the reward of, of land, of seed, and, and blessing. What God has promised earlier in, in Genesis chapter 12. You know, as, as great as those promises are, as gr great as that reward is, Abram has even better reward. Abram, by God's initiative, knows God. Remember, he was a, a pagan, a, a moon worshiper in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. But now he, he knows God. And to know God is to have eternal life. Christian, I, I wonder, what reward do you look for from God? What is the greatest gift that God could give you? 
The greatest gift that God can give is himself. Listen to the theologian Jonathan Edwards express the greatest gift God can give. He writes, God is the highest good and the sum of all that good which Christ purchased. God is the inheritance of the saints. He is the portion of their souls. God is their wealth and treasure, their food, their life, their dwelling place, their ornament and diadem, and their everlasting honor and glory. They have none in heaven but God. He is the great good which the redeemed are to receive at death, and which they are to rise to at the end of the world. Stafford Baptist, as God spoke to Abram, so he speaks to you. Your reward shall be very great. Through Christ we receive the wealth, the treasure of God himself. He is our great good. The highest treasure that we can receive. So, friends, no matter what else your life brings or, or doesn't bring... God offers himself to you in the gospel forever. Everlasting joy in the fellowship of the Trinity and the saints. So I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, to orient your hopes and sorrows to this great coming reward today. But with this promise of reward, we see that doubts rise up in Abram's heart. He doesn't reply with pious cliches. No, he gives God the honest truth. Look again with me at verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram still has no child. The heir of his house is, is apparently a servant. Eliezer of Damascus. All this time and, and still no son. And actually, this is the first time that we have in Scripture Abram's words to God. Certainly we know that he has spoken to God. We are told that he called on God's name. But this is the first time that Moses records his words to God. And clearly Abram is, is skeptical. What he sees doesn't match what he would expect. He isn't dismissive, though. He addresses God with reverence. And asks in earnest. He doesn't bury his doubts, but, but brings them to God. And certainly God has already made his, his promise known. In, in Genesis chapter 12, in both, both verse 2 and 7. And even more clearly in, in Genesis 13, 16. He says that, that his offspring will be as numerous as the dust. That's what he says there in Genesis 13, 16. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. So for Abram, thus saith the Lord, should have, should have been enough. But he doubts. How does God respond to Abram's doubts? By blasting him with lightning. How dare you doubt? No. You question me, that's it. You're cut off. I'll find someone better. No. Or maybe not so severe. Clean up your act, Abram. When you've got it together, then, then we can talk. 
No. Perish the thought. Jude 22 tells us, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Why is it that Jude can tell us to have mercy on those who doubt? Because God first shows mercy on those who doubt and who look to him for answers. God teaches us through our doubts to trust him. God here answers Abram's doubts in mercy. He says, your very own son will be your heir, Abram. God takes him by the hand, as it were. He walks him outside and tells Abram to to look up, count the stars if he can. When was the last time you got a a good view of the stars outside of the, the city lights? I remember going to Vermont to hike with some friends, staying in a remote cabin. At night, we looked up to the pitch black sky, and and the sky was was brimming with points of light from horizon to horizon. That's what God is, is showing Abram. That's how numerous your descendants will be. Not only will Abram have his own son as heir, but that son will lead to descendants, descendants as numerous as the stars. So God graciously, God mercifully meets Abram's doubts with assurance, with a, a visible representation of what, of what his future holds. Abram says nothing here, but Scripture speaks for him in verse 6. He believed the Lord. He relied on God's gracious word as as trustworthy. His doubts were conquered by faith. Hebrews 11.1 says that true faith is conviction of what we don't see. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Abram hadn't seen his son, but is assured of what he is hoping for. And the basis of that assurance is is God's faithfulness, God's promise here. Brothers and sisters, what doubts do you wrestle with? Certainly we today are not in the same situation Abram was in. We don't have the same promises from God that, that he had. But we too live in the gap like Abram. The gap between God's promises and their reality. What we have been promised is not yet our reality. We have been promised salvation, but we are still being saved. We have been promised eternal life, but we still face death. We've been promised peace and joy, but but we still know the war and sorrow of sin. Maybe for you it's, it's unemployment, it's sickness. It's frustrations with the church or frustrations with your sin. Whatever it is, the gap between reality and hope seems very wide. Like Abram, faith and doubt coexist in the same heart as long as we await glorification. You know, for for Christians in the gap, a subjective feeling of confidence about your convictions is Possible. It, it should be our aim. Luke wrote his, his account of the gospel, of the life and death of Jesus, 
according to, to Luke 1 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Or in 1 John 5 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. Certainty. Knowing. It's, it's why they wrote. Why God gave us His Word. Like doubting Thomas in John 20. Jesus meets us in our doubts. Bring your doubts to Jesus. And He can give you answers. He gives assurance based on His faithful Word. But, but, our security is not based on whether or not we have subjective feelings of confidence about our convictions. No, if so, our, our security would, would come and go as our feelings come and go. No, our security is based on faith's object. It is Christ, not all the strength of our faith that saves. Like Abram, who believed. Not because his circumstances changed. His reality was, was no closer to the promise after verse 6. Sarah's womb was still barren. His body still old. Rather, he, he rested on God's word. So how is it in your doubts that you can rest on God's word too? Despite no change in your circumstances. Despite still living in the gap between promise and reality. Or one way that you can use this sermon. If, if you know someone doubting, how can you use God's word to encourage them? Abram's reliance on God's word in verse 6 is said to be counted to him as, as righteousness. Verse 6 isn't saying that faith is righteousness, right? That, that faith is an, an act of our righteousness. He is being righteous. No, righteousness is righteousness. Living in perfect accordance with God's law and nature is righteousness. Something that Abram had not and will not do perfectly. No, it doesn't say that Abram was righteous, but that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Or as other translations put it, it was credited to him as righteousness. The fact is that, that neither Abram nor, nor you nor I, nor I can, can live a righteous life. We are, are sinners by nature. If it depended on us to be righteous, we would have no hope. But the message of Genesis 15:6 that in God's mercy, he credits righteousness to us by faith. Philippians 3.9 speaks of this righteousness by faith. Paul writes of, of not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says that our righteousness comes from God through faith in Christ. The good news of the Bible that we read here in Genesis 15:6 is that you can be counted righteous before God, not by your own deeds, 
but by Jesus' deeds. You can be found in Him, given His righteousness. By faith, Abram looked to the promise of the snake crusher, the son of his son, son, son. Do you remember what Jesus said of Abram? Speaking to the offspring of Abram, Jesus said in, in John 8, 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Yes, Abram rejoiced in Jesus long before that day came. By faith, not by sight. Since the beginning, friends, with with Enoch, with, with Noah, now with Abram, God's people have been saved by grace through faith. Under the old as, as well as the new covenant, justification has always been by faith and not by works. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that, that just like Abram, you can have justification by faith. That Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. So that by faith in his death, you can receive his record of perfect righteousness by faith. God extinguished his own wrath against sin in his son, Jesus Christ. He defeated sin's curse of death by his victory over the grave. Friends, you can have God's favor, not because of your performance, but because of his. You can have acceptance and assurance before God because he obeyed, not because you have obeyed. As we sang earlier, church, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to rest upon his promise. The call this morning is to rest in the sunshine of God's favor for you today, not by works, but by faith. And all who rest on this also receive the, the promised Holy Spirit. So that we can now live as his children by the Spirit. To have God's law written on our hearts and, and live in the true obedience of faith. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So, brothers, sisters, have you rested by faith on God the Son? Do you despair of your own righteousness, of your own ability to earn God's favor? Do you rather rely on His promise, though there is no change in your circumstances? And has that faith shown itself to be real in your life by good works? Is your, fruit, is your faith bearing fruit, the fruit of this Spirit? Church, believe and receive. God's righteousness is by faith. Believe the Lord and He will count it to you as righteousness. Abram, having received God's assurance of a son, continues to bring his doubts to God. Let's turn to the second half of our passage and our second point in verses 7 through 21. Rest in assurance on God's covenant promises. Rest in assurance on God's covenant promises. You might have noticed as we read that the, the second half follows the same pattern as the first half. First, a statement of promise from God. Then, Abram's doubts. And third, God's assurances of that promise. 
The, the matter of the first half was about God's promise of a son, of, of numerous descendants. Well, the second half is about the land. Look at me again at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. God is reminding Abram here uh, that this was all by his initiative. Abram was a nobody with nothing in the middle of nowhere. He wasn't looking for God when God called him and told him to go to a land that he would show him. He is reminding Abram of, of who he is, that he is the Lord who has done all this. Well, maybe because God has just given him such great assurance, Abram seeks more assurance. Again, with reverence, he asks in verse 8, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Abram wants certainty. He says, how can I, I know? Abram is, is living in the gap between promise and reality. He has been promised the land, but he doesn't yet have it. And God will give him certainty. If you look down at, at verse 13, he says, No for certain. No for certain, God begins. God is going to give him certainty. But he does more than just give God, Abram his word. All that, that weird stuff in verses 9 through 11, then in verse 17, would be immediately familiar to Abram. Also to, to Moses in, in, in Israel. What he's describing here is a covenant ceremony. So God is not just reiterating his word with more specificity, but he is, he is reassuring it with a covenant. In verse 9, he instructs Abram to get some specific animals. A female cow, a female goat, a male sheep, all of these three years old in the, the prime of their life. He also asks for, for two birds, a, a turtle dove and, and a pigeon. All of these animals would later be part of the sacrificial system. Abram brings these animals. He cuts them in half. Lays their halves against each other, except for the birds, likely because they're, they're too small. This is likely the work of a whole day to pre prepare. From seeing the stars last night, now to the sun going down in, in verse 12. He, he makes a little walkway of these five animals, with, with half on each side, or for the birds, the, the two in opposite of each other. It might not be familiar to us, but what God is doing is, is preparing a covenant ceremony for Abram. We'll explain this in a moment in, in verse 17, but first, God speaks to Abram. In Abram's deep sleep, he says that he himself will not inherit the land but that his descendants will. The, the four verses in, in 13 through 16 are, are a summary of, of, from Genesis 46, when Joseph's brothers first come to Egypt, all the way to, to Numbers 13, when, when Abram's descendants finally reach the promised land again. So what God is, is giving to Abram here is a prophecy, a, a promise for the future of his children. His promised children, he says in, in verse 13, will be sojourners in a, a foreign land. That's Joseph and his brothers and his descendants sojourning from the promised land into Egypt. They will be servants, he says, and afflicted for 400 years. That's the time when Israel suffered in Egypt as slaves. 
But here already in verse 14, God promises to judge that nation, to deliver his people from that slavery. And in fact, that they will plunder their oppressors as they go. So before they will inherit their land, there will be trials, trials, sojourning and, and suffering. That sounds a bit like the Christian life, doesn't it? As, as Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. The pattern has always been suffering and then glory. Even as we think of what, what God predicts for his, Abram's children, we should take comfort that sojourning and, and suffering is not strange to the people of God. But the, the promised land is ahead while glory awaits. Abram, for himself, will die in peace at a good old age, but without yet possessing the land. Verse 16 is, is specific. One of the reasons that it will be four generations, more than 400 years, before they come back to the land to, to occupy it, is because, he says, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You can see down in verse 21 that the Amorites are some of the occupants of the land that they are to inherit. We could spend hours on this, but, but essentially what God is saying is that, that Abraham, Abram's children will remove the Amorites from the land as an act of divine judgment. At that time, in 400 years, and, and no sooner, their accumulated sins will be so great that God will no longer tolerate their presence in the land. In other words, God is, is patient. God is patient with sin. Yes, He requires repentance, but He awaits it patiently. Church, we should notice here that God is sovereign in judging the nations. Here, 400 years before their judgment, He knows the sins of the Amorites. <clears throat> we, we don't have a word like this for, for all nations, but I think we can take particular encouragement from this as we mourn events going on in Afghanistan. God knows the iniquities of all nations, and He will judge. And remember, Moses is writing this account sometime before his death, before the, the children of Abram inherit the promised land. In their lifetime, all of the promises of God have come to pass. He has been faithful to his word, even after 400 years of what seemed like silence, 400 years of suffering. God is, is faithful. They have so much reason to trust God's promises. And we have so much more. Well, after making these promises in these verses, so that Abram will know for certain, we have the curious event of verse 17. What we see there is a smoking pot and a flaming torch now passed through the pieces of the animals. And verse 18 tells us what this is. The Lord making a covenant with Abram. A covenant to give his offspring this land. So what's this all about? Well, the, the smoking pot and, and flaming torch, I think, clearly symbolize God. Like the pillar of smoke and fire that will, will one day lead Israel out of Egypt. Or the smoke and fire at Mount Sinai. 
God's presence is, is often associated with, with smoke and fire. So in verse 17, God's figure passes through the pieces of the animal. Well, what does that mean? Why is he doing this? It, it might be lost to, to modern readers, but, but Abram would have understood exactly what this means. In covenant ceremonies like this, both parties would, would walk through the animal pieces to solemnize the, the promises of the covenant. What he has promised in verses 13 through 16. And as they walk through in action, they are saying, May this happen to me if I do not uphold the covenant. If I break my word, may I become like one of these animals. We see this clearly in, in Jeremiah 34. Much later in the prophets, speaking of a, a, another covenant, it writes this. The men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. So we see in, in Jeremiah that these people had passed through the animals and though they had broken the covenant, they forfeit their life. Their dead bodies, he says, will be food for the birds of the air. Those who transgress the covenant become like the animals they pass through, dead. But in Jeremiah... It's, it's the men who pass through the animals. In Genesis 15, Abram does not walk through. Only God in smoke and fire does. Church, the, the point. By covenant, God assures that these promises will not fail. And he, and he assures it by passing through himself. Abram has nothing to do to assure that these promises will come to pass. He has no need to pass through. Not only is God kindly giving Abram assurance for his doubts, in a particular way that, that he understands, but everything depends entirely on God for it to be fulfilled. This is a unilateral, gracious covenant. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. God does fulfill his covenant promised to Abram. Each one of them. His descendants come into the land to possess it. You wonder, in such a display of God's love, how, how could God's love and commitment be displayed more vividly than in such a gracious covenant? Well, perhaps, instead of a smoking pot and flaming torch for the figure to become a reality, for God himself to come in the flesh, to come as man, to bear the curse that we all deserve as covenant breakers. For God himself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who was nearly torn in two by whips, by thorns, by nails and spear. You know, the rebellion of our first parents brought God's curse of, of enmity, of, of pain, of labor and of death. But with that curse came God's promise of a, of a Savior to lift the curse. We read earlier in Galatians 3, the curse of the law 
The curse of death pictured by walking through the blood of those animals. Galatians 3 says, fell on Christ. He died as our substitute. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to all the nations through faith. No, the gospel wasn't plan B. After all the other plans failed, before the foundation of the world was the book of life of the Lamb who was slain according to Revelations 13.8. God's covenant promises here in Genesis 15 are carried all the way forward into the new covenant, where by Jesus' death we are freed from the penalty that we deserve for breaking the covenant, the curse of death. And we receive the Spirit now by faith. God made these, this covenant with Abram to give him assurance that all of his promises will come to pass and that he himself will guarantee them. So, brothers and sisters, as we reflect on our covenant, the new covenant, we too can have assurance that, that all that God promises for us shall come to pass. The assurance of our salvation, along with everything else that God has promised, is found in the objective truth of God's word and his faithful to faithfulness to it. I think of the words of Horatius Bonar in his hymn that I hear the words of love. May it describe our rock-solid foundation of assurance. He wrote, My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. I change, he changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. So what will you do with your doubts, brothers and sisters? Follow the example of Abram as his offspring by faith. Even as we live in the gap between promise and reality, we can walk by faith and not by sight. Resting in the faithfulness of the never-changing, always-loving, always-true God. Seek your answers for your doubts in the certainty of God's word. Resting in the assurance of God's covenant promises, receiving righteousness by faith. Let's pray. Father, we proclaim... That in our doubts, our love is oft times low, our joy ebbs and flows. That we change. But Father, we praise you. That peace with you remains the same. That the Christ can never die. That your love, not ours, is our resting place. Your truth, not ours, the tie. Father, I pray that this morning we would rest on the assurance of the covenant that we have with Christ. Lord, that he accomplished in his life and death our righteousness, our salvation. And Lord, by faith in him we have your spirit, by which we walk with your law written on our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would teach us, that you would have mercy on us in the midst of our doubts, that we would learn through our days to rest on your sure word. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen.